Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast, your weekly mini masterclass designed to give you the tools to crush your goals with less stress. I'm your host, Kim Jennings, a veteran faith-based school frontline fundraiser and certified fundraising executive, a consultant, trainer, coach, and passionate ally for leaders and future leaders serving in Christian schools across the U.S. After nearly two decades in the industry, I'm here to share with you what I've learned and continue to learn from my failures and successes and to bring you insightful conversations with great leaders. If you're a Christian school leader looking for tested strategies to banish the tyranny of the urgent and raise more money within a stronger, thriving team, and you're looking to grow your school's culture of generosity, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast. Today's episode is the middle chapter, the second part of a three-part series on the three critical components for a strong K-12 development plan. I call those the three C's. Those three C's are clarity, community, and communication. The last episode was on clarity, so today we're going to talk about community. Every single school that I have worked with or worked at or met leaders from, everyone says that their community is what makes them special. It makes them unique. And it's true. I would say that when I meet with parents at those schools, they all say that the community is what drew them to enroll at the school. So I know that it's true that those schools have a very special and unique community. When I use the word community, I'm talking about potentially something different than you might consider. I'm talking about community in terms of culture, especially as it relates to development and engagement and a culture of generosity. Community is more than having full stands at the football games and a full auditorium for the school plays. And it's more than having a really strong culture of volunteerism and having a lot of parent groups that support one another. Community can be so much more than that. And the community that I'm talking about is perhaps one of the most underutilized, but most powerful forces for advancement in our schools. Belonging, the desire to belong, is a critical need. We all have it. Obviously, belonging is important to all of us in a variety of settings. In a school, parents want to belong. They want to belong to our community. And I think that we as leaders in schools sometimes tend to shy away from fully embracing this concept and really taking the opportunity to draw them in to what one of my mentors terms as the hug, which is drawing people in closer to the heart of the institution, the heartbeat of the institution. And when we don't fully embrace that opportunity to draw them in, then I think that we are missing out on also the opportunity for something very special. The flip side of the coin is that if we are telling parents that they do belong in the admissions process or really whenever, if we're telling them that they belong and we want them to be a part of our school community, but then we hold them at arm's length and we're not engaging in meaningful dialogue with them. As an institution, we're missing out on the blessing of what that two-way dialogue, that two-way relationship could be like. So if we're telling them in the admissions process that we want them to be a part of our community and that they belong, but then we do all of those things, holding them at arm's length and not having meaningful dialogue with them, 
then it might be harsh to say, but I feel like we've actually lied to them. I feel like we've sold them a bill of goods. We're treating them as something that can give us something, or perhaps we're treating them as squeaky wheels that we need to deal with. But true power in community is actually a sense of shared purpose. We know the power that can come from people coming together in unity and in community. That's one of the reasons, actually, that sites like GoFundMe or the Red Cross during a natural disaster, it's one of the reasons why those kinds of fundraising efforts often can be quite powerful. They can be quite successful because there is power in the sense of shared purpose. In our K-12 schools, the question is, are we leveraging that sense of shared purpose to grow true community, which creates passionate ambassadors and generous givers? I don't think we are. I think that we might be missing that opportunity. And here's what I think. Honestly, it's not going to sit well with some folks, but I think that in our schools, some of us, we say we have or we want community, but in reality, we want it to be on our terms. We want it to be under our parameters or perhaps even a sense of being able to control the situation. Because as we all know, relationships and people are messy. True community requires shared power. And parents, they want to be in this hug. They want to be in close to the heartbeat of the community. And when we allow that to happen, it releases true shared purpose. So let's pull them in. Let's pull them into that hug authentically. Let's draw them close into our school's heartbeat. Let's draw them in. Because if we don't do that, if we say to them, we want you to belong, we want you to be a part of our community, and then we're not only holding them at arm's length, but in addition to that, we're not drawing them into the hug, then frankly, how dare we expect our parents to just give their treasure and their time and their talent and their social capital to us as schools. It doesn't make sense. And I don't think it's really right for us to just expect them to give up all of those things without being in a two-way relationship, a dialogue. If we as schools don't have these authentic, meaningful communities, then I promise we are raising way less money than we could be. And we are burning through our donors way faster than we should be or could be. We could be doing so much better. How do we get true community? What I have learned and what I have observed in schools that harness community in the way that I'm describing it, schools that have harnessed that power well, they have three characteristics in common. And today we'll go over those. The first thing is transparency. Transparency that starts at the top and permeates the entire administrative culture and permeates the teacher culture transparency as a core value is transmitted often and consistently throughout the school community. I want to be clear, I'm not talking about sharing things that clearly shouldn't be shared, sharing things of confidential nature and so forth. I'm not saying we should be foolish in how we approach transparency. But what I am saying is transparency as a core value means that the leadership and the school community is committed to sharing the good times and the bad. It is a commitment to communicating information throughout the community, even when it hurts, and perhaps especially even when it does. But it is a commitment that we're all going to be in this together. It's a commitment of vulnerability, and that creates a high trust environment. 
what might that look like? An example of transparency in good times might be communicating what the money at your school is doing. What kind of resources are coming in and how are those resources spent? At a minimum, communicating transparency related to fundraising can be through an annual report. I think every school should be doing them. I think it doesn't necessarily have to have all of the bells and whistles and big lists of donors. Actually, I'm not a big fan of of honor rolls personally, but that's another conversation. But at a minimum, it can have simple charts that talk about the resources that came in and where those resources were spent. What is the story of the mission as told through the money? Because your finances tell a story. I don't think it's critical that it is a big four-color, glossy, beautiful, and slickly produced publication that you create and mail out to all of your donors. I don't think that it is critical that it goes out that way. I think if your school doesn't have communication staff that's devoted to this or the budget or time to create a really beautiful publication, then perhaps you should not devote that time and money and staff power to creating that publication. You can get the same objective met through an online annual report. And in many ways, An online annual report is actually stronger because you can include links to videos or links to stories that already exist on your website to demonstrate impact. And if you've been communicating impact throughout the year, as I hope you are doing, as I talk about a lot, your annual report in that case is actually interactive. And I think that makes it stronger, frankly. Plus, if it's online, you can share it out with folks that you don't have a physical address for. You can send it even to grandparents. We never have physical addresses for grandparents, or rarely anyway. There are a lot of reasons, I think, why an online annual report is the way to go. And I will share some good examples of ones that I like in the show notes so that you can see what I'm talking about. Transparency during the good times may be one thing and may still be a challenge, but transparency during the difficult times is perhaps an even greater challenge. There are times where we have to be transparent during something that is just a little difficult, and there are times where we have to choose to be transparent when things are quite difficult. Here's an example of something that's a little bit on the easier side, but something that we tackle a lot in schools, and we probably could be more transparent if we really thought about it. Let's say that you have to change a program or a team, like an athletic team, and you might have to actually pull it for the year or for a certain period of time while you rebuild the team. Let's say we're going to do this in baseball because we can't field the team because we don't have enough kids. You're going to pull the program for the year and you're considering just sending out an email to the folks or having a conversation with the folks who are personally impacted by it. Their kids signed up and so you're going to let them know. I think that our tendency is to think that now we're all set. We've told the folks who are personally impacted by the decision and so we're good to go. But if we have transparency as a core value, We're going to want to make sure that we're telling the institutional story from the top so that folks are getting clear and accurate information rather than getting stories from who knows where. As we know, in a vacuum, people are going to make up their own versions of stories. Not only is it important to build trust, but it's actually strategically wise to share the information about this rebuilding with the entire community in a way that makes sense. It sets it in context. It makes it look like you've been strategic and smart about the decision. It shows your families that you are considerate about the choices you're making and that they're not just happening as a reaction. 
Perhaps it's even more important that we are transparent during moments that are even more greatly challenging. An example might be during a head of school search. Often a search will take a very long time. And if we're not sharing updates on a regular basis with our community, they begin to wonder what's going on. Again, in a vacuum, there are all kinds of rumors that can begin to spread. I think that board members sometimes don't understand that folks need to hear an update on a very regular basis, even if they feel nothing is there to be said. It might simply be an update saying we're continuing in the process and things are going very well. It might be saying that we anticipate having some more news in the next three months, something to that effect. But regardless of how quote unquote big and important the step is, something needs to be communicated on a regular basis during something like a head of school search because that builds trust and it is transparency they're more likely to trust the process and trust the result because they've gone along the journey with the board while the decision is made. Again, we have to be reasonable. I'm not saying that we should be sending out information that is clearly confidential and inappropriate in a hiring process. The updates don't always have to be very meaty and sharing too much information, but just letting folks in the community know where we stand. Sharing this kind of information can be as simple as having a landing page that's devoted to the search, and then someone at the school is assigned to update it regularly with information from the board. But it means that the board needs to be committed to being transparent in that process as well. But I think that the board and the leadership certainly would want to control the story and keep the narrative as clean and truthful as possible by giving everybody the truth as they go rather than letting rumors begin to set in with the lack of information. Transparency is critical to building trust in the community. You need it and you must have it from the top and across the entire organization at every level. That creates the kind of environment that builds community in the way that I'm saying is important. The second characteristic that they have is mutual respect. Very often, especially in today's society, it's very often that us versus them can set in. That silo effect, it is alive and well in our schools just as much as it is in our entire culture. You've seen it too, I'm sure. Unfortunately, parents and teachers, parents and principals, head of school, leadership and parents, there's all these silos that can get set up. We all need to be partners and that partnership really cannot be lip service. It means that we need to be committed to listening to one another, stop making assumptions about what the other group wants. We should listen to one another and be committed to partnership. When parents are seen as something to be managed by the administration rather than an actual partnership, then it can create silos. And parents can be seen as the other and their viewpoint isn't sought out. And there's little or no dialogue. And that can set up a situation where the administrators no longer garner trust because they're not openly communicating. It can set up a situation where parents no longer trust the decisions coming down. Parents begin to lose respect for the school, the school leaders. It's important for us to remember that silos will kill our culture. Silos must be broken down. And that starts with trust. It starts with mutual respect. I'd love for us all to remember that aside from the occasional bad actor, everyone in our schools, our parents, our staff, the leaders, the coaches, guidance, everybody, we all love our schools. 
We all want what is best for the kids that are in it. If we can really seek to try to remember that, even during the challenging times, then potentially we can have more mutual respect for one another and those silos won't get a chance to begin to grow up. We won't have to try to break them down. The magic of the interconnectedness of all three of these characteristics is that if we in fact prioritize transparency, then we will actually be better partners. We won't have to force breaking down the silos. They might not even exist, or if they do exist, the roots aren't so deep that it's going to take so much work. We won't have to force ourselves to see the others as our partners because we would actually be better partners. The families will reap incredible benefits. We'll be building a culture of high trust. We'll be building a culture of generosity because we are actual partners in growing such a culture, in serving our kids. This episode is sponsored by my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity, which I design especially for you with a suite of tools, templates, and resources that will help you be successful regardless of what month you start your journey with me. I crafted this course when leader after leader asked me, how do we move from transactional giving to heart-led, generous giving from every giver, regardless of the amount of their gift? How do we really cultivate a culture of generosity? This course will help you raise more money in your school using real-world methods designed to work in every school environment, every size school, because they're based on human behavior and community not fancy expensive events or tons of staff power. My course is full of practical strategies, effective actions you can take every month, every year to grow generosity in your new parents, cohort after cohort, changing the culture of your entire parent community. Learn more and sign up for my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity at kimtjennings.com slash culture of generosity. Now we've covered two of the three characteristics that I've seen in schools that have strong community in the way that I've been describing. Those were transparency and mutual respect. That third characteristic is intentionality. And looking back at the other two items, you'll never get transparency, nor will you have the opportunity to build up mutual respect unless you have intentionality. I'm talking about intentionality, both in terms of the way that we manage ourselves and our time, and also being strategic in the choices that we make in our fundraising tactics. But we really cannot have the latter without the former. What does intentionality look like? For one, we have to guard our time. We need to be fiercely dedicated to leaving margin around ourselves so that we can think deeply and pray listen to others, and learn from others, and make plans together collaboratively. We need to value space and margin. Let's block time on our calendars, and let's honor it as if it were a donor meeting. And then that would give us a little bit more time and margin in which to be intentional. Being intentional means we should ask more questions. We can be more reflective. If we're hitting pause and taking time to be reflective on what's worked, and what hasn't, we can use that to inform our thinking for now and for planning and strategizing for the future. I think that intentionality is important, not just for fundraisers, of course, but for all leaders. 
We all get very busy. Sometimes we're filling our own plates and sometimes our plates are really full and then folks give us more things to put on those plates. Therefore, it's important for us to be disciplined and leaving space and margin for ourselves as humans and as leaders. Specifically related to fundraising, if we are intentional about leaving room to think strategically and being disciplined about keeping our eyes on the goal, if we're not just rinsing and repeating because of the tyranny of the urgent pressing in on us at all times, then we can be more effective in our work. Now, obviously, there are times when it's going to be urgent. There's things that have to get done and very little time to do it. That happens. But let's try to minimize the number of times that that happens by creating space and margin and being intentional about that. I was trying to think of an example of this exact situation. This is something that's happened to me, and I'm certain that it's happened to you as well. And I want to describe it and talk about how we can create space and margin even in the midst of the urgent. Let's say we're launching our annual fund drive in three weeks, and we've had a million things on our plate. We're trying to get it all done in order to launch that annual fund drive in three weeks. And in fact, we've been promoting the annual fund drive out in public on social media and so forth that it begins in three weeks. So there's no going back. We have a public deadline that we have to meet. Here we are three weeks out and we wanna do our segments. We wanna try to make each piece for each segment just right and most effective, which is wise. You want to have clear communications to each segment. That's what we're going for. But here we are three weeks out and we're frankly not sure about who we're going to send what to because we've had all of these other things that have been handed to us and we're having trouble with the data. There's a lot of pieces on the project management. It frankly is just a lot. There's a couple of ways we could go with this. One is we push ourselves right up to the limit and we send out communications to four different segments and they're okay communications, but they're not as great as they could be. And they're right on the edge. Perhaps they might even be a little bit late because we have pushed ourselves to the limit. They get out. So that's good. In another scenario, If we've created a little bit of space and margin to think and be strategic, we could sit back in that space and think to ourselves, what is the highest and best use of my time right now? Is it to keep pressing on and trying to get the data to work for me, trying to figure out these segments? Perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it's better to send one really awesome, fantastically created communication to the entire parent community and give yourself enough time to really pour into that one really fantastic communication than it is to push it all the way to the end and have a bunch of different segments so everybody gets something, but they end up being mediocre. The different folks are not comparing themselves against the other segments. They're getting what they get. They're receiving that information from you and they're just seeing it on its own merits. If we have those boundaries set up and we're intentional about creating the space to think, then it might occur to us to hit pause and reconsider the objective and figure out the best way to do it rather than pushing ahead in the tyranny of the urgent and trying to just get the thing done. But there have been times when I have been in the middle of trying to do something that was my plan. And because I didn't create space to think, I made the wrong choice. I moved forward and I did whatever the thing was that I had planned to do. And in that situation, I really regretted it. I wish that I hadn't done it. But again, I was in the midst of the tyranny of the urgent. I moved forward with the plan because I wasn't intentional about thinking things through. What was the end goal and how do I want to get it? 
In an ideal world, we have set time aside on a regular basis so that our strategy and plan for the entire year is set out from the start. So those moments of having to cut losses and make choices that we wish you didn't have to make, those times will be fewer and and farther between. You can see how the two different aspects of intentionality interplay with one another. If we are intentional about how we spend our time and creating that margin to think and pray and collaborate, then we will naturally be more intentional about the choices that we make in our fundraising tactics and the strategies that we choose. Even in the tyranny of the urgent, we're able to make wiser choices because we have been intentional about our time. And when we are intentional about the way we spend our time, and when we're intentional about the choices that we make as fundraisers, not only will we be more effective in our work, I think we're also more likely to be happy and to feel less overwhelmed in all of the things that are coming at us because we can be comfortable in the fact that we have left space for ourselves to care for ourselves and we have left space to think strategically and make good choices. And that's intentionality to me. That is the third characteristic of what I see in schools that do a great job in building community in my definition of community. Those three characteristics, again, are transparency, mutual respect, and intentionality. These are the things that I have observed in strong, healthy communities that have a thriving culture of generosity. And what we want in all of our schools is strong, thriving communities. Communities that are not only doing wonderful things for one another and coming around each other and supporting the athletics or the fine arts, It's also about being knit together in a sense of shared purpose, knit together in the power of making something really remarkable happen, knit together in a culture of generous spirits at all levels of the organization, from the leadership to the parents to the teachers, all of us knit together in a culture of generous spirits in every sense of the word, generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, our social capital, all of the aspects of generosity. And as Christians, being generous in every sense of the word is actually mandated because all that we have in our lives, our families, our belongings, our money, all of it is from God. And God asks us to be good stewards of the things that he gives us. One of our jobs as fundraisers in Christian schools is to walk alongside our community members in their stewardship and in their journey of generosity. We should be thinking about ourselves and how we're stewarding personally what we've been given in our own lives. But let me ask you this also. Are you being a good steward of what God has given you in the form of passionate parents? Parents in your school who want to belong and want to be involved. They want to be an active part of their children's school. They can and will be more generous to our mission if they're inspired to be a part of it. So if you're not leveraging the power of community, if you're not leveraging that sense of shared purpose, if we're not tapping into that single biggest factor in growing a culture of generosity, in my opinion, then we're really missing out on a huge opportunity. Parents want to belong. They want to be in that hug. Draw them in faster and more authentically by being transparent, by demonstrating mutual respect, and by being intentional about how we build community and intentional about how we think about our activities as leaders in order to build community. And when we do all of that, then we will raise more money and we will build a culture of generosity. 
So that's part two of my three-part series. Part three is my next episode, the last one of the series, and that's communication, an aspect of our work that I totally adore, and I cannot wait to dig in with you on that. So if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe because you will want to catch that third C. If you're looking for more specific tips on building community in the ways that I've described, then I am totally here to hook you up. I love resources. I'm all about them. If you've been to my trainings, then you know because you leave with a handful of stuff. So I've created a free resource for this episode. It's a guide for building up community to have a positive effect on your development results. You can download this free resource at kimtjennings.com slash build community. If you go to the show notes, you'll find a link there as well. If you like what you've heard today, please do consider subscribing. And if anything I have said has been helpful or you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share the episode. I would be really, really grateful for that. Thanks so much for joining me again today. I pray that you and your work and your schools are blessed. See you next week. 